Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us on Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Savalero. My good friend Kelly Grayson is doing his best paramedic stuff and uh, responding to calls and relocating the sick and injured. And uh, tip of our hats to all the EMS professionals who are out there doing their job. And we appreciate the work that they're doing. And this episode of the Inside EMS podcast is sponsored by Boundtree Medical. Learn how Boundtree can help save minutes and lives at Boundtree.com. You know, the, the work that's being done out there, I mean, just the, the pat on the back, you know, the, that EMS is doing. And again, it makes me proud to be a paramedic. And, you know, I've always said it, man. I've said it for a lot of years. There's no better job in the world than being a paramedic. Center field for the New York Yankees, but they never called me. So uh, I'm happy with where my career has been over the past uh, few decades. And, uh, you know, we keep our eyes peeled to what's going on in this COVID-19 crisis and New York City being the epicenter for the United States and some of these other states now that are having those challenges now up in Michigan and Minnesota. And of course, you know, Seattle, we had uh, Dr. Catherine Counts on a couple of shows back where she kind of was talking about the first deaths that were in Seattle and, and the work that she had to do with her peers of now trying to make sense of that. And I, I really wanted to try to find somebody who was working in the New York area that can give us some background as to what their days have been in doing that work. And I am so happy that we have got David Koenig, who is going to join us and talk to us about that. And you know, Dave is a uh, EMT in New York City. He's also an EMS1 columnist. And I say he should be considered the mayor of social media because he is very active. Uh, our friend, uh, David Koenig. Dave, I want to thank you for joining us on the Inside EMS podcast. Glad to be here. Awesome. And uh, I know Kelly misses you. He was excited that you were going to be on. So I'll try to do my best Kelly Grayson stuff and be monotone and uh, you know, see if we can make, uh, make him feel like he's uh, channeling through this. But two New Yorkers here, I think we're going to have a better time. But, uh, but anyway, Dave, I mean, you know, just a little tongue-in-cheek as we start. But there's nothing really tongue-in-cheek when it comes to the work that you're having to do in New York City during this time frame. And uh, I, you know, I have a lot of people that I know that work in New York City. Uh, every time we see these uh, stories, I mean, it just breaks my heart of just imagining what life is like for you guys in uh, UEMS professionals in New York. And I'm glad that you're here to kind of share. And I would just kind of like to take you back to the beginning of this. And as you're starting to prepare, I mean, what were the biggest challenges that the professionals in, the, in New York City were trying to do in preparation of this pandemic that was, you know, that you saw coming your way? Yeah, well, I, I think it's important to note that um, when this first started back in January, there wasn't a lot of a lot of people looking at things. It wasn't until you had your first cases in the United States, uh, which was uh, in the Seattle area, in I, I think Kings County. Um, that's when people started to be like, all right, like this could be coming to my city. And I remember throughout February watching a, a map of the United States where cases were popping up and they were popping up in uh, Washington and California and Illinois and Massachusetts and pretty much uh, surrounding New York. But New York, ironically, did not have a case yet. And I remember saying to my partner, probably like the last week of February, I said, when 
whenever they get to start testing people in New York, uh, this number is going to blow through the roof. And um, so we we tried to figure out what exactly was going to um, be needed when that did happen. But we woefully underestimated uh, what was what the actual result was. Um, the first New York case was March 1st. Um, by March 7th, we had 89 cases. And uh, the uh, New York State of Emergency was declared by the governor. So you literally had that in seven days. Uh, this moved very fast for all agencies. Um, a lot of agencies kind of blew off the dust on the binder that was their flu pandemic and tried to go by that. But we found that we were uh, way underestimating both uh, PPE usage as well as uh, staffing, um, staff that would end up calling out what, what you assumed was going to be 10% came 20% and then 30% and your PPE burn was, wasn't like a, a one in five. It was more like a one to one on the call volume ratio. Yeah, I got to tell you, I mean, and it seemed for a long time, things were just getting worse and worse and worse, but uh, it does seem like everybody was on top of things and things were being handled as best that they could, which which kind of makes me want to switch gears with you, Dave. And you're on the truck. I mean, you're you're right there in the middle, and and uh, having to see these patients and how to you know having to treat and manage these folks. And uh, I'm just curious from your side, uh, what's been the biggest challenge in your everyday of going through your responsibilities of um, you know working with these folks that are sick? Well, I mean, I think it's important to turn around and understand about what the call volume has been like. Um, New York City, traditionally at this time, the 911, the New York City 911 call volume is roughly around between 4,000 and 4,500 calls a day. On, um, let's see, March 30th, the system hit 7,253 calls. So that is a 60, 70% increase of your call volume. All of those calls, uh, the vast majority of them, I should say, um, were responded to by 911 units. In addition to that, then you have the, the other ambulance calls that happen in the city because New York City's 911 system, first of all, only two thirds of the units are provided by the fire department of New York. Another one third is provided by the voluntary hospitals. Um, and so when they say that the fire department of New York is down 30% of personnel due to sickness, you can assume the same or greater number for the voluntary hospitals. Um, and then you have the private side, which the interfacility transfers, especially during this time, have become just as, if not more important, because as hospitals are filling up their beds and they were ordered to 150% capacity by the governor at the beginning, um, but there are hospitals that are going beyond that. And so they need to they need to send patients out. So the interfacility transfer 
call volume is up 75% as well. So you, you're looking at 20,000 calls probably on March 30th. There were probably about 20,000 EMS runs that were done in the city, if not more. Um, so for the on the emergency side, um, you know, cough, uh, fever, diff breathe is kind of the the COVID call type. Um, I mean, basically what it is is you're going, assessing the patient. You have to be in full PPE. And depending on uh, their vitals, you, you have to make the decision on to whether or not this patient needs to be transported or can they turn around and treat at home. And this is something that the New York State Department of Health have put out a viral triage guideline, um, something that New York City Remac implemented, um, along with the non-transport of uh, cardiac arrests that uh, you know after they were worked up, uh, first, second line drugs. Then uh, the medical directors would turn around and just you know, say, do a, do a field termination, which resulted in the medical examiner being overloaded with the number of people that were being left in their, in their homes and, and passing in their homes. Um, so all of this stuff has repercussion. Everything that is being done, you're seeing down the line, um, other, other things being affected. And so, for areas, and I've seen this on Facebook, I've seen areas say, hey, our call volume is low. Like, we are seeing low call volume. Well, you know what? The last two weeks of February, we saw low call volume too. It was kind of the calm before the storm. And my piece of advice is that when this storm hits, it hits hard and it hits fast. So try to prepare yourself now. Yeah, it seems that, uh, you know, you guys are doing as best as you can in this environment. Specifically, though, you know, when you talk about, I think you talked to, to, you know, generalizations of how you're dealing with those calls. Specifically, though, are you finding challenges in treating people? I mean, you know, you talk about this increase in call volume, but are you taking all these people to the hospital? Are you managing them at home? I mean, so when you see this increase, um, which is just obscene, um, how are you dealing with the treatments? I mean, what, what are you basically seeing and how are you addressing them? So, it, I mean, if they are just symptomatic for COVID and they're stable, we're advising them, hey, you should treat at home. We're trying not to transport them to the hospital. For patients who don't have COVID system uh, symptoms, if, if they're stable and, and they can go see their primary care physician, that's our recommendation. Because when you go to a hospital in New York, there, there, there is no such thing as, as a, as a non-COVID hospital, right? Like every single hospital has COVID-19 cases. And if you don't have COVID-19 and you're going to the hospital with whatever it is that, that ails you, there's a good chance that you're going to catch it. And honestly, that fear, right, that fear we believe uh, anecdotally has led to some of these at-home deaths because people haven't been calling to go to the hospital with their normal ailments. If they're not stable, if, if, if you have a, a, you know, 
if, if you're in the middle of uh, chest pain and, you know, it's radiating and, and all that stuff, we, we're still going to take you to the hospital, even if you don't have fever, cough, whatever. We're still taking precautions, right? We're still going to treat you pretty much like you're a COVID patient. Um, and we'll take you to the hospital. You'll get treated at the hospital. But that the possibility of that exposure is there as much as you try to limit exposure and cross contamination. Um, unfortunately it's, it's very, very hard nowadays. It sounds like a, uh, we've opened up a Pandora's box to find to find a can of worms, but I want to go ahead and take a quick break here, Dave on, on the other side of the break. I want to talk to you about the dreaded PPE question and how that's holding up. But before we do that, as your partner in EMS for over 40 years, Boundtree has made it their goal to provide you with more than emergency medical supplies and equipment. Boundtree partners with you to create efficiencies in your agency, streamline your operations, and to help you find ways to make the most out of your budget. Your dedicated account manager will be your true partner, acting as your personal advisor to help determine which solutions are right for you and your specific needs. To find out more or to set up a new account, visit Boundtree.com. Or call 800-533-0523. So, Dave, you know, just as you were sitting and talking and I'm shaking my head the whole time, just wondering about what it would be like to operate in this environment. And, you know, my hat's off to you and your peers for really setting the standards for others to follow. But, you know, we constantly hear about, you know, the issues with PPE with PPE shortages, you know, with the challenges of putting your hands on PPE. And, you know, from a, uh, one of the biggest challenges is, you know, even ordering PPE as e, as private EMS isn't seen as one of those tier one uh, uh, responsible agencies and being considered tier two, they don't get the first shot at that PPE that's needed. I mean, how's it holding up for you? And how are you guys going through the process of, you know, using your PPE to make sure that you don't burn through it. Yeah, um, PPE has definitely become a, a hot topic, and that's a hot topic across healthcare. Um, so let me let me just throw the disclaimer out. I work for a private agency. These opinions are my own and not representative of my employer. <laughs> um my agency has been very fortunate. We we have uh, been able to maintain baseline PPE for the duration of the uh, of the emergency. Um, there is a significant cost to that, and and for that, I I do applaud them for not even looking at price tags, just hitting that you know buy now button on the website uh, to make sure that all of uh, the EMTs and paramedics are, are protected. When it comes to N95s uh, and the reusability of N95s, and N95s have always been reusable. They're good for like eight hours of use. The issue being um, whether or not the outside of the mask gets contaminated during a, a procedure or something. Um, so N95s, the CDC kind of turned around and, and lowered their their uh, guidelines on them and, you know, said, oh, they're reusable, you know, for like ever, um, which kind of harkens back to 2001 with the EPA saying, yeah, the air is safe down there. So even though the CDC is saying that, what, what we've been 
trying to do is, you know, give everyone a, a new N95 at least at the minimum once a week, uh, if not, you know, uh, every 20 hours in, so to speak. And uh, we're telling everyone wear your N95 and wear a surgical, just a plain surgical mask over your N95 to protect the outer shell. There was a recommendation that N95s be put in dishwashers. Do not put your N95 in a dishwasher. Um, you can clean the outside just with regular or alcohol or hydrogen peroxide. There's actually a company that sprays them with hydrogen peroxide. You, you could wipe down the out the front of it and let it dry, and that will sanitize the, the outside. You could do the same with the inside um, to try to extend the usage of that. Um, that's what we've, we've been doing. Like I said, we've, we've been fortunate in that we, we haven't completely run out of N95s. Gowns, on the other hand, have been a different story. Gowns, the burn-through rate, um, really, it's very hard to turn around and tell someone, you know, you need to reuse your gown for a shift, right? You're doing five, six transports in a shift. Um, You have the issue of cross-contamination in the cab, which you know, a, a lot of people like don't really necessarily think about right off the bat. Gowns, gowns are the bigger challenge. Um, if you're able to get the Tyvek suits, hey, great. Then when you're done with the call, you can have your partner spray you down with bleach and wipe you down. Um, and then you can reuse it there. But uh, if you're just talking about the regular paper gowns, which is the majority of what we've been able to to get, those really aren't as, uh, let's say, bleach friendly or or cleaning friendly as the other kind of PPEs. So that's that's definitely been a challenge. Yeah. Um, You know, as far as the the face shields, uh, face shields, goggles, those are reusable. I know I have my own personal pair of goggles because because I wear glasses normally so I have my own goggles anyway um, quite a few people did but we, we do have the the facials and stuff for people um, and that's 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 an important aspect too and and but that stuff that stuff is reusable a simple wipe down with uh, alcohol or, or the bleach solution will turn around and you know bring that back. So, you know, I think that that's really good advice, Dave, and it kind of brings me to my next question. I mean, you've been in EMS a long time. You know, you share your thoughts on social media. I mean, I think you're seen as one of the, you know, the leaders in our field when it comes to, you know, being a a field provider. So there are a lot of EMS professionals who are out there today that haven't gotten to the point of where New York City is, and and maybe they don't, um, but certainly you've put yourself in a position to get a lot of hands-on experience what do you give the listeners that are out there that are wondering, you know, uh, you know, what's it going to be like for me or how do I handle or what do I do if, I mean, so what are the words of wisdom that you've kind of learned and picked up during this process that you can share with the people who are listening? Um, honestly, I'm, I'm going to kind of rip off the internet for this one and rip off of uh, Great Britain, you know, uh, things are going to happen. They're going to happen quick. It's going to be a very dynamic situation. Stay alert, stay calm, and do what you do. And that is the best advice that I can give anyone. Um, I think looking past this, 
past this episode, I think EMS agencies really need to take hard looks at their at their planning and you know flu pandemic planning. Great in theory, in practice, for something like this, not not so great. I think agencies need to really take a look at the facilities that they provide their providers. Um, EMS traditionally does not have locker rooms, don't have showers, don't have stations. Some agencies do. You know, the fire-based EMS agencies do have those luxuries. Private ambulance, voluntary hospitals, uh, even the, the Fidney stations, uh, I'm pretty sure that they, they don't necessarily, well, while they have lockers, I don't think uh, they have enough showers in there for their personnel. I think uh, that kind of thing needs to be reexamined. How many uniforms you give a person when they get hired needs to be reexamined because there are providers right now and throughout this crisis who have been sleeping in their cars and staying in hotel rooms because they don't want to bring this back home to their families. And at least if they had a, a place where they could turn around and take a shower and put on clean clothes, that would reduce the risk of when they when they get home, bringing it into their, their own houses. And the fact that we don't have that, that that is not standard for the industry, um, whereas, uh, you know, law enforcement, that's pretty standard. Uh, fire service, that's pretty standard for fire services. Um, because it's not standard for us, that is something that agencies really need to look at and re-examine, especially after this. I think those are some great words of wisdom. And I got to tell you, man, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come and join us and visit with us and talk about uh, you know what's going on there in New York. It's always a pleasure for me to uh, have you here and uh, listen to your stories because it makes me it makes me uh, less homesick. I think that that's what it is. I I feel that kindred spirit towards <laughs> you. So, but uh, you know, please come you back. You missed the pastrami. That's right. The, you know, pastrami, corned beef, and tongue was my favorite sandwich uh, that I used to love to eat. And you know, you get some of those delis that uh, you know make their own bread. So now look what you got me doing. You got me talking about you know delicatessen. So let's stop that. We'll we'll do a whole show on food in New York City. But, um, you know, so I want to thank you for coming to join us and sharing, uh, you know, what's going on there. As things start to happen, as things start to get better, I would really like to know the transition, Dave, of how things are, you know, moving to a better uh, environment. You know, because, again, New York is going to be the first ones to start to uh, see this. And I'd be interested to know as things try to get back to normal as they do, come back on the show and let's talk about what you're seeing and how that's working. Because now as you're giving people the opportunity to understand how to prepare and what to expect, the next thing is going to be from your expertise is uh, how do things get back to normal. So I promise us you'll come back and do that. Yeah, absolutely. And for everybody out there, again, I want to thank you for joining on the Inside EMS podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, go ahead and email us at the show at ems1.com. For Kelly Grayson and our guest, David Koenig, I'm Chris Sabalero, and I look forward to chatting with everyone again real soon.